Thank you, Alan. Great to have you gathered here today. And a big shout out to those who are watching at home. Great to have you joining us. And especially if you're new and haven't been familiar with our church or even the Christian message, I'm sure you'll learn something today. Maybe even the words you've heard read out by Alan. Many of you are thinking it's quite an odd passage. But we'll explain it as we go. So it's great to gather today. It's uh, just good to see some people around, even though many are wearing face masks. If there's anything we're learning in this season, and especially for us as God's people, and you can see the words probably behind me, we must go on. No matter what's happening around us, every day we get up, it's a new day, and we have to assess that and what the day brings as we must go on. It's the great message really from Hebrews 10 to 13, and we, many of us here who've walked with Jesus for a long time really know the reality of Hebrews 11, that great chapter of faith which really stirs the hearts and minds of many many thousands of people over a long time but we go on and our focus in this series called we must go on from hebrews 10 to 13 it reminds us about why we must go on and more than that why we can go on Uh, and that's something i want to share with you today as we jump into this part of god's word Um, today you're also going to probably learn a lot about myself my own belief you're going to learn a lot about fig tree anglican church and what it believes and why it believes but probably more than that you're going to realize and learn a lot about the significance of what we would call the gospel that's something that will stand out and when i say the gospel some of you might be thinking well what's that let me try to put it simply that we all have a sin problem humanity has a sin problem Uh, and we all the bible tells us fall short of the glory of god We might not like to hear that. We also know we all have a selfishness problem. But even as I say those things, we can remind ourselves we have a great and glorious saviour that we need that deals with the problem of sin and the world. And we go on. Why do we go on? Well, we go on because we are a people of hope. We go on because sin has been dealt with, which is what the great passage in Hebrews 10 speaks about. Uh, We go on because our faith is not based on the circumstances around us, but what God is doing in us and in other people. We go on because Jesus carries us. It's a great reminder that we need to hear more and more. We go on because, I hope you picked up the great language of the huddle, because we are the body of Christ. We are together, no matter whether we even feel a little bit disconnected right now. We go on because in Christ we have no fear. So let me pray as we think about today. Heavenly Father, you indeed are gracious to us we thank you for all that you're doing lord strengthen us each and every day and remind us again and again about the significance of the death of jesus because it's in him we have our hope in his name we pray one action can make a difference we all know that uh, and probably we all know about sacrifice Uh, maybe many of you right now are sacrificing in all sorts of particular ways which you haven't done before Maybe you're experiencing that right now. But sometimes we can forget about the significance of a sacrifice. We, in our church life, often have communion and we celebrate that on a regular basis. And I think we can remember the action of someone called Jesus dying on the cross, but probably too often we can forget the significance of why he died. And that's the picture of Hebrews 10. Uh, There's a story that a man, some of you might know his name, D. James Kennedy, Uh, shared a long time ago 
It goes like this, and it reminds us of the cost of sacrifice. A man called John Griffith grew up one day, uh, and in his heart, he wanted to travel. I wonder how many of you want to travel today. Go raise your hands. Go, you want to travel? Anyone here? People at home can't see that. Lots of people putting their hands up saying, if only we could open the borders up. John Griffith, he wanted to travel to faraway places. He had this dream of going to other places. He was just so excited about it. Names of strange lands, images of other places that he wanted to go. But he, and that was his whole consuming passion of life. But in 1929, yeah, it's a long time ago, things changed. He was in America and of course something called the Great Depression happened. His green dreams were shattered and where he was living in a place called Oklahoma, it was in the words of uh, D. James Kennedy, it was like a dust bowl living in a dust bowl. And so he decided he'd pack up his family and move, which he did. So he got his little baby boy, his wife, and they moved to a place called uh, Mississippi. And he was able to get employment there where his role was actually caring for one of those great bridges that the trains would cross over. Some of you might have been on those things. And he became the person who would raise the bridge and lower the bridge. So he's very excited. New place, uh, new home. And this story happens around 1937, as it's told. And for the first time, John Griffith decided to take his little boy, Greg, to work with him. Uh, because he was just excited to see what daddy does for a living. Some of you might have experienced that yourself. Uh, the little boy, of course, was full of excitement, going with his dad to work to see the great steamboats of the Mississippi, to see this bridge go up and down. It was all very exciting. Anyhow, 12 o'clock came on this particular day, and his father had put the bridge up. There were no trains due for a good while. And so they had some time to uh, share, so they walked around, had some lunch, sat down, relaxed, and all of a sudden, he realized time was moving on. And he heard a whistle of a train that was due. And so he thought, that's okay, I've got plenty of time. Put his son down, get himself ready, looked at his watch, and saw that it was the Memphis Express that was due. Has around 400 passengers on the train. And so he goes to his normal place, he gets himself ready, uh, he goes down the catwalk, etc. And there's this large, you might even picture it in your mind, these large levers you have to pull to actually make sure the bridge lowers for the train to cross over. And as he was preparing to do that, all of a sudden he saw a sight that he froze and made his heart pound dramatically. And what it was, he saw this little boy had followed him up to the control room and had slipped. And his now his little son, his leg was caught in the gears of where would have to move to lower the bridge and the father knew that as sure as the sun would come up in the morning that if he pulled the lever of the train of the, the bridge to lower that his son would be crushed in the mix of steel and pain his eyes filled with panic he was unsure what to do he saw a rope in the room and thought I've got enough time to lower myself down to the rope to try to pull my son out of that uh, get back up start again etc but as he thought about that as you do in a moment like that he could hear the whistle of the train getting closer and closer and closer he knew deep down that there was not enough time to do what he'd hoped to do suddenly he heard the whistle again it was very very close and he knew he had to make a decision and time was running short what could he do what could he do 400 people but this was his son his only son, what would he do? Well, the story is told, as it's a true story. He knew what he had to do, 
and he put his head in his arms uh, with tears in his eyes and he pulled the lever and the bridge was lowered and the train whirled across as it did what we understand it would have done to his little boy he looked at the train and I don't know if you ever look at trains but as he looked at the train he could see the passengers oblivious to what had happened reading the paper having a cup of tea having conversations and of course that just made him even more angry do you know what I've done for you do you realize the cost to me at making sure you were saved on this particular moment in time don't you care I've just sacrificed my son of course he looked up nobody heard nobody acknowledged nobody responded and the train simply disappeared so when we talk or even with that story you talk about the cost of a sacrifice we might underestimate maybe even in 2020 the cost of anyone's sacrifice and there are many many people we know right now I know for example in the front line in the health industry who are sacrificing on a daily basis for the benefit of others and generally when you think about sacrifice it is for someone else and when you come to Hebrews 10 and you think about this once for all sacrifice of Jesus Christ it is for the benefit of someone else it's actually for the benefit of us and yes if you live in the same world that I do thousands and thousands of people are totally oblivious to the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ it doesn't impact them uh, certainly it's been my prayer that maybe this year because of the year that maybe more and more people are assessing their life or thinking through other things the cost is profound and when we think about this one action that takes away sin this passage that Alan read out this from Hebrews 10 those first four verses it's, it's profound um, part of the issue going back then it's like some people prefer to read a good cookbook than eat a good meal I know no one here would do that or no one online watching would prefer to do that um, but it's like they were, back in the day they were getting caught up with other things the peripherals the law they were forgetting about the reality of what a sacrifice pointed to um, and, and we can do that too uh, others can prefer to busy themselves with the externals of faith going to church all those things as it's funny to say that, isn't it as good as that was in the day it's good to actually come together in this building and be together but all those things that priests would do animal sacrifices rituals all those things they only ever pointed to something more than what they were uh, but people just wanted the cookbook the meal some people just want the periphery instead of the reality of what Christ has done what was done in the old was just a contrast and a pointer to the new uh, like many of the men who are married here uh, we carry around pictures of our wives in our wallets those at home they're nodding the men who don't do that will soon realize the error of their ways and will adjust that when they get home uh, of course you might have seen when Langdon had me do that clip before you might have uh, often when you're zooming or something do you notice you actually don't so much look at the people but you look at what's on their desk or what's behind them you do don't you of course you do you might have seen photos there well on my desk for a long time you might see this at home I have this beautiful photo of my beloved Rhonda uh, she knows I'm showing this by the way just in case I get in trouble when I get home but that's her getting out of the car on her wedding day which was by the way my wedding day uh, a long time ago some 39 years ago and she hasn't changed a bit correct 
Gee, they're slow honey to mention that. Uh, Matilda, that's your nana, just looking at home. She's gorgeous. You know, but it's not the real thing. You realize that, don't you? It's, it's a reflection of the real thing, as is a picture in your wallet. Now, I can sometimes, the staff might notice this. They come down to my office and they'll think Ian's talking to someone, but actually I'm just talking to the picture. Um, it's not, it's just a reflection in no way does it represent the real... I can't laugh with Rhonda, I can't uh, talk, I can't engage. It's just a picture of the real thing. But it's an accurate representation, isn't it, of the real thing. But it's a far cry from the real thing. And the law and the tabernacle and all that was happening in the Old Testament was just a far cry from the real thing. Think about uh, the words from Hebrews 1. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 to 4. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshippers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. And then we see a quote that actually comes from Isaiah 1. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Take away sins. You see, it's impossible for ritual and ongoing sacrifices to take away sin, internal sin, the stain on our hearts. And the law itself would only point to the reality of that. Again, can I say, it's impossible for all those sacrifices, the sacrifices of animals, of sheep and goats, to take away the sins of mankind. And nevertheless, the unchanging reality of those sacrifices did point to the one true sacrifice that was to come in Christ. And yet every sacrifice that was offered denied the true one sacrifice that was come. But it was part of God's plan in preparation for Jesus. You see, unless sin can be removed, the sinner will die. And we may not like to hear that, but unless sin is removed, we do face the same end. Uh, it's a hindrance, sin, this barrier between man and God. It needs to be dealt with. And Hebrews 10, and some of us might remember we jumped into Hebrews at the beginning of this year. It seems like a lifetime ago. And so I've wanted to come back into this latter part of Hebrews just to remind us of the power and the significance of what Jesus has done for us. See, when it comes to thinking about this reality, so mankind's action can't bring us back in relationship with God, which is true, because there's an action outside of ourselves. So when you talk to people, for example, about their faith or what they believe, listen to them. I commend, I'm happy that you commend what is good in their own faith system. But understand this, man has no ability to save himself or solve his own problems. None whatsoever. Man cannot achieve salvation by the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Man cannot receive salvation by the pillars of Islam. Man cannot receive salvation by the ethics of living a holy life or by Buddhism. We can't do that. We cannot achieve salvation by coming to church during COVID season. You know that, don't you? Of course you do. 
They're nodding now for those at home, just in case they're wondering. You can't achieve salvation by reading the Bible every day, by doing good works. It is not within our power to do that. That's why the Bible has said what it said about Christ and his sacrifice. God does not seek or need ongoing sacrifices. That's the key of Hebrews 10. In fact, it's the key of the whole argument of the book of Hebrews. The old pointed to the new. The old is a shadow of things to come. You can see that in Hebrews 9 verses 23 to 24. Uh, It's in Christ we have new hope. Uh, Hebrews 7 verse 19 it says the law makes uh, nothing perfect the law cannot do it and so if Christ is just an example then nobody needs him but if Christ is a sacrifice for all then we all need him because otherwise we are left to our own desires which is why uh, the writer the author of Hebrews moves to quote Psalm 40 and so this reality, that this one action now fulfills God's will. It actually fulfills the beginning, the plans that was always there from verses 5 to 10. Uh, and these words are rich. They describe God's will and God's plan all along. It highlights the fact that the sacrificial system was going to point to Christ's sacrifice. And under the, what is called the new covenant, God remembers our sins no more. And that is such great news listen to the words that say come from verses 5 to 7 therefore when Christ came into the world he said sacrifice and offering you did not desire but a body you prepared for me with burnt offerings and sin offerings you are not pleased and then I said and he's quoting uh, Psalm 40 and don't forget if you look at Psalm 40 in the context of Psalm 40 it again was also about obedience not sacrifice verse 7 then I said here I am it is written about me in the scroll I've come to do your will, my God. Come to do his will. In verse, uh, verse 9, he sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ. And here are those magic words there. It should be on the screen. Once for all. Once for all. You see, often people sort of think, you know, Jesus was killed a horrific death. Some would use the word he was murdered. Understand for all time that Jesus willingly laid down his life for others. Willingly laid down his life for others. Is that not the truth of John 10? Uh, He laid down his life for the sheep. The shepherd does that. Is that not the truth of Jesus in what is called the Garden of Gethsemane? When they're coming to arrest him and he's like, I'm here, here I am, you don't need to do what you're doing. He willingly laid down his life. And so this sacrifice, human for human, had to happen for sins to be wiped. This wholehearted obedience. God has never taken delight in the performance of ritual. You can see that in 1 Samuel 15, Amos 5, for example. And I'm sure God feels the same about worship today. It's pretty hard to reflect on that in our current context when I think of the worship we were involved in. Uh, I did love uh, the first two songs this morning, for example. And I'm noticing in my own spirit, don't quote me on this for those who watch any video I do midweek. I love singing, by the way. But as uh, 
Ruth and Em sang and the band played. It's like, oh, if only I could let loose. And I came and I get outside in the car park and driving home, wind the windows down and scream out in praise. But I, like you, probably have a great sense of frustration. But understand this, that whether we can sing or not, we can still get caught up in the ritual of just coming with a mask on and sitting here and going home. And, and so, you know, what does God require from us? Micah 6, you've probably got it locked in your head. What is, to act justly, to act justly, to love mercy and what? To walk humbly with our God. You know, sacrifice could never fulfill all that God required. It needed something in particular to happen, which was the sacrifice of his son. And so that's what's being stressed. This one action that fulfills God's will. Christ is the goal of the Old Testament. Christ is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. The Old Testament law points to Jesus Christ. Once for all is the language. God's way is a new way. There's a passage from the New Testament, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 and 6. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all people, who gave himself. You know, if you're thinking about anything this year, remind yourselves of one of the key reasons why we go on, because Christ has given himself for us. And we can hold on to that. Because it's that one action that actually brings complete victory, which is the key from Hebrews 10, 11 to 14. It's really like the highlight of that point, the highlight of that chapter. This, this one amazing action now brings a victory that we could never obtain or ever achieve. You know, verse 11, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices which he can never take away his sins. But when this priest, Jesus Christ, had offered for all time one sacrifice, this is the perfect man, the God man, one sacrifice for all time, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he's made perfect forever. Those who are being made holy, this one debt, one payment reality. It, it's a wonderful picture. And it really comes to this climactic scene. Earlier on in chapter 10, we read the words year after year, day after day. I wonder how many of right now just sort of feel like that's all you're doing in your life. Every day is the same. Get up, get mask ready. Maybe go to Woolworths, go to work, come back. What's on Netflix? Nothing. Go to bed, get up, do the same thing day after day. That's like it was the priest with the Old Testament sacrificial system. Day after day, nothing changed. They couldn't actually get it right. It's this one sacrifice of Jesus Christ that guarantees a future, that guarantees a hope. So understand that the priest stands in that passage. Christ is seated. Such a contrast. The priest had to offer repeated sacrifice. What does Jesus do? One sacrifice. The priest's sacrifice could never take away sin. Jesus' sacrifice not only takes away sin, provides sanctification, a future, a hope. And of course, one of the great realities, if you looked at the end of Hebrews 9, for the priest, others stayed outside of what was called the tabernacle. Christ himself with his sacrifice enters the heavens. Hebrews 9 verse 27, the holy of holies. 
And we might remember that from earlier this year. If you looked at chapter 4 of Hebrews. Remember that great part of God's word. That what can we do? We can now approach the throne of grace with what? With confidence. And as we approach the throne of grace because of what Christ has done. What do we receive? <gasps> Mercy and grace. You could stop now and go and read through Mark's gospel. Another part of the New Testament. And at the death of Jesus Christ, you might remember, what was, there was something torn in two. The curtain was torn in two. Again, a reminder that the barrier between man and God is now broken because of Christ's sacrifice. This one debt, one payment. It's a wonderful picture to encourage us all to continue. We, we know we'll get to uh, the second half of chapter 10. We're encouraged to meet together to go on. We know we'll get to Hebrews 11 where this great chapter of faith of those who've gone before us. Hebrews 12 will tell us to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. To keep our eyes fixed on the one who has given himself for this sacrifice. And so we're now finally coming to this last point, this last few verses. This one action that requires no further action. And if you're at home watching this and if you've never actually stopped and considered the sacrifice of another... Or more importantly, if you've never stopped and considered the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for you, I want to say to you, brothers and sisters, don't let this year go without thinking, maybe I need to assess the claims of Jesus. Maybe I need to even consider the response, my own personal response, of someone who's given his life like this so I can actually be in a right relationship with the living God. And really, that's what's captured in these last few verses, verses 15 to chapter 18. This one action that requires no further action. We don't have to keep sacrificing. We don't have to have... A, Christ does not need to shed any more blood. And so what, how does the writer wrap it up here? He again quotes the Old Testament. Those who've ever read through Hebrews or have looked at Hebrews understand that that writer, we don't know his name, continues to refer back to the Old Testament to really uh, help his argument about what Christ has done. And so he has this one powerful conviction. Verse 15, the Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First he says, this is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and I'll write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I'll remember no more. Wow. I, I wonder in relational world if uh, has anyone here... You know, don't raise your hand because people at home can't see. But those that are watching at home, have Ian ever made mistakes? Yes. Has Ian ever done the wrong thing? Yes. Uh, how many times does Ian do it? Probably every week. Both hands are up in the air. Uh, I deep down, I'm praising God. But uh, mistake after mistake. I wonder sometimes when you read those words, uh, wow, their sins and lawless acts, I'll remember no more. You think of all the things you've done. Wouldn't it be great if the people in your life forgot about them more than that didn't hold them against you because sometimes in this world you might say i'm sorry but i wonder how many times you have to keep saying sorry some people require sorry to be said every day of every year in this case as we think about what god has done in his son jesus once for all sacrifice sins remembered no more i can go on each and every day because of what christ has done in my life and that's a powerful thing for us to remember we are right before god because of what jesus has done 
It's a wonder, isn't it? The slate is how the Old Testament referred. The slate has been wiped clean. Remember those uh, games the kids used to have? Uh, I forgot the magic. I forgot what they're called, but you'd shake them. You'd do a drawing and it'd, it'd disappear. It's like that. Our sins have been forgiven. No more sacrifices. Uh, all that the Old Testament did pointed to this beautiful picture. The old has gone, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 says, the old has gone and the new is here. We have a renewal of heart because we trust in Christ, because our faith is in Jesus Christ. Wow, the slate has been wiped clean. Normally, on a day like today, in fact, we would have communion. Uh, Yep, uh, I'm not doing communion online today. And we're working out at the moment how we do communion in the body of Christ and online and so what you can do, and dear young Adele is arranging it, we actually can buy separate packages uh, that have bread and little grape juice in them. So we're in the process of getting those. So we will trial actually doing communion together while we do it online. But I must admit, when I think about a slate being wiped clean and the picture I have in my mind of communion especially, uh, it was a few years ago. In fact, it was the 17th of December, 2018. Uh, My sister-in-law, Anne, uh, you know I've lost two, Anne, I've known Anne, knew Anne since I was about 13, Uh, I've been in my life a long time. So I rang my brother Malcolm and said, look, would Anne like to have communion because she was in the last day of her life? And I said this to you because how hard it must be now, and especially in Victoria with loved ones and you can't be there with them. And so Rhonda and I went up, my two sons were there, Luke and James, Uh, my brother Malcolm was there and... uh, their son Chris and we sat around the bed in St George Hospital uh, and it was around a seven o'clock and I gave and communion and the reality was at that point in time I, everyone in that room except Anne was in tears I think the bread by the time I gave it to Anne was soaked but that's just the way it was uh, it was really tough to do the only person who had an incredible peaceful look on their face was my sister in law Anne. And I can still see it. And it reminds me again and again of the power of what Christ has done. She would meet our Heavenly Father within 24 hours of that day. Because you might remember, we've been praying that she'd get beyond the 18th because that was uh, their wedding anniversary, but it wasn't to be. But she just had this incredible smile as the other half a dozen were just a blubbering mess around the bed. How thankful I was to be there to do that. And especially if anyone is experiencing the loss of a loved one now and you can't be with them. How tough that must be. And yet it reminds me, she knew at that point that she could stand before. And this is the reality of life and you've got to understand this because you don't know the day and the time. And her time would be gone within 24 hours of that moment. But she knew she could stand before the holy God because of what Jesus has done. Her slate was wiped clean. No more sin. No more remembering. Wow. That's the power of this one action. And so for me, I've got to say to you, this one action always requires some sort of response. That's what, How do you respond to this? You see, in Jesus' death, we have this universal answer to the universal problem of sin. How do you respond? Jesus has dealt with sin My sin, your sin. How would you respond to this? You know, 
the more I accept that I'm a sinner, the more I realize the value of having a saviour. The more each day I get up and go on because of Jesus and thank you, Jesus, I can sing his praise and go on. 1 Timothy chapter 1 says this, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And of course, the Apostle Paul who wrote that said, of course, I am the worst. 1 Timothy 1.15. We go on because sin has been dealt with. We go on because we have a clean slate before God. We go on because no more sacrifices are needed. How do you respond to that? Especially in this COVID season. Hebrews 13, the last chapter of Hebrews, verses 5 to 6, reminds us that our Lord is with us. He'll never leave us or forsake us. You know, you might be thinking, how can that be? A lady, a wonderful singer, Nancy Honeytree. What a great name. What a great name. She sings this song, Clean before the Lord I stand. In me, not one blemish he sees. Don't you got to stop and think, how can that be? When you look in the mirror, do you stand there and say, not one blemish, I'm perfect. If only my husband and wife knew how blessed they were to be married to me. Is that what you think? She is singing, our heavenly father does not see one blemish. Why? Because he sees Christ in us and us in Christ. And you've got to respond to that and say, thank you, Jesus. I accepted you in that way. I've accepted... Oh. You see, you know in church life at the moment, every time we gather, we uh, every time have to get out our pino clean and we have to spray those seats because, oh, you've infected them. Now, I know for some who are gathered here, unlike at home, we've got the exit mould because there are some people who gather, gee, I tell you what, their sins are pretty rough and it takes a little bit of extra heavy-duty stuff to remove them. But it's all external. You can't do anything about the internal, which is the problem. Except Christ. Except Jesus, our Lord and Saviour. He's the one who's done this. He actually has played what we call this short game of life so that we could win in the eternal game of, of, of life, heavenly uh, heaven. May it be that as we think about who we are, as we think about what Christ has done, that we all again and again realize we go on because of what he has done. If you've never accepted him as your Lord and Savior, do so. Don't wait for the day that you do not know is coming. How many times have we said from this platform or you've realized this year that we do not know what tomorrow brings? Have you realized that yet? You must have. No one can predict next day, next month, 2021, good grief. Who's brave enough to predict what that's going to look like? But one thing we know, and one response can be, that Christ Jesus, my Saviour, he's given his life for me. No wonder we can sing, Oh, what a thousand tongues, my great Redeemer. Nothing but his blood is the thing that brings life. May it be so as I pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy to us all. Lord, may your message remind us again and again that in you we have hope, in you we have salvation, in you we have life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.